0: Esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, which is available now as a paperback and audiobook, but the ebook. Oh, esteemed audience, the ebook is free. Yes, free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Get your hands on that and come back with cash money for the two sequels. Under the super secret pen name Robert Kent, I've written some novels for older readers, such as All Together Now Zombie Story, and many others. You can find out more information about those, and more important, you can find interviews with thousands of authors, literary agents, editors at middlegradeninja.com. Uh, couldn't be more thrilled. This morning, I had the uh, absolute ple- privilege and pleasure of being able to speak with Neil Shusterman. Uh, Mr. Shusterman, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So esteemed audience knows that I never make my guests suffer through me summarizing either their book or their biography. Why would I do that when you're right here and could do a better job of it? Uh, So if you would give esteemed uh, audience an overview of your background and we'll go from there. Oh, I'm Neil Schusterman. I'm an
1: author of of, both YA and uh, and mid-grade books. Been doing it for quite a long time, since uh, about a year after graduating from college. So I've, I've published a total of uh, a total of 49 books. I think uh, Gleanings is my 50th. I'm best known for, uh, for the Unwind Dystology, the Ark of a Scythe series, as well as the Schwa was here, and, uh, and Challenger Deep, which won the National Book Award a few years ago.
0: By the time you get to number 50, is it just kind of, oh, yawn another book? Or is it still that exciting thrill when you open a package and you get a new hardcover?
1: That opening the package, every time I get that package in the mail with the new book, I feel like Charlie opening up his chocolate bar and finding the golden ticket. I just take it nice and slowly, and I just slowly tear open that envelope to see that book for the first time. It's always fresh. It's always it's always new, and it's always exciting. And I think if it ever stopped being exciting, I think that's the time you stop.
0: Well, I mean, after 50, no one would blame you. I mean, you've <laughs> done it. <laughs> Do you feel like you could walk away and like, oh, that's that's a pretty good, nice, even number. I'm done for now. Or are you still excited to get to it every day?
1: No, I'm still excited every day. I, I think I'm going to keep doing it until they pry that pen from my cold, dead fingers.
0: And I know you've got 51 coming here in April. So it's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to write another nine now just to get to another nice, even spot. <laughs> Maybe 60 will be lucky number 60. <laughs> So uh, I know um, uh, I've been reading the the legend of your your career and uh, in, in preparing for this, and I know that when you're in ninth grade, you've got an English teacher that challenges you uh, to to write a story. Well, I promise you, I'll do your background. You tell the story.
1: Well, oh, <laughs> my my ninth grade English teacher challenged me to write a story a month for extra credit because she knew I needed extra credit in English, and she knew that I loved writing, and so that's kind of what got me into writing regularly was. Uh, was turning in those stories and getting that extra credit that bring wrote my grade up because I, I was, I was the kind of kid who would always, I would always, I was kind of like a self-sabotaging overachiever. I would always do more work than necessary, but it was always late. I never got anything in on time. And so I was failing English because of all the late projects. So she offered me this opportunity to earn back my lost points by writing stories. And so, uh, but the thing is, so the rule on that was I couldn't be late with the stories. Once a month, it had to be the first day of the month or else I didn't get any credit. So uh, she kind of used writing to help help me learn how to turn things in on time, which most of the time I don't do still. But
0: have you had the editors now forgive to, uh, me. Have you had the chance to reconnect with her since, since then and say, hey, look, 50 books later, look what she started?
1: Well, back, oh, it was maybe around 10 years ago, I uh, met with her for lunch and gave her this whole stack of books and told her, these are all here because of you. It was really a, a wonderful, wonderful thing.
0: Well, she's not telling every student she ever has for the rest of her life about this experience. She's <laughs> missing an incredible opportunity. <laughs> so I, I know I see your books uh, touring when I, when I teach at the local school here. I, I, uh, I see uh, kids carrying around Sky or Thunderhead or, or some of the others. Uh, and I'm assuming she's seeing that, too, and it must just swell her heart every time she does.
1: Uh, I'm sure she has. I mean, unfortunately, since then, she's passed away. Uh, but I went back a couple of years ago to my old to my old middle school. I mean, to my old, I guess it was, it was a junior high school. It was in ninth grade, uh, seventh, seventh through ninth grade. And uh, I spoke there and I mentioned her name and all the students gasped. And they said our biggest award at, you know, at the end of the year is named after her. And so it's like, so it's like, I like, I knew the person that the, the award was named after. She was a, a wonderful teacher, Hertha Postian.
0: Uh, she uh,
1: turns out her year teaching me was her first year as a teacher.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> well, that, that starts off her career with a bang, right? Yeah. <laughs> you inspire a New York Times bestselling author. What are you going to do next? What's uh, what's All your at the
1: time, I wasn't, she didn't, she didn't know that until many years later. <laughs>
0: Uh, and then, uh, so was that Was that when you knew you wanted to be an author? Or had you had an inkling before that?
1: Well, you know, I wanted to do a lot of creative things. I wanted to be a writer, but I also wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be a composer. You know, I, I wanted to do all of these different creative things. Writing emerges the thing that I was most passionate about. And that really started to, you know, rise above all the other things I was interested in doing when I was in college. Uh, I used to write a, a humor column for my school paper at UC Irvine, and it got to be very well known over the f- the four years that I wrote it. And so, every week I had to turn in I had to turn in a column, and it had to be funny. and uh, And I just really enjoyed sort of being this minor collegiate celebrity at the school, because you know, everybody would read the column. But not everybody knew who I was, so I would walk around the school and see people snickering and reading my column when they're opening the newspaper, and it's kind of like I was kind of incognito. Uh, and I was, I was a theater major and, uh, and a psychology major. I was, I was doing a lot of theater back then, but uh, what I noticed was that there were theater people who were theater people. I mean, this was their life. For me, it wasn't my life. I just enjoyed it. But you know what I enjoyed more was I enjoyed writing plays. That other people would perform, and so I realized that the written word was really my passion, and that's you know, and I went from there.
0: So, psychology and theater was the original plan to be just an actor who also does psychology on the side. Or, well,
1: you know, by the time I, I, I decided what my majors were going to be, I, I pretty much knew that I wanted to be a writer, uh, but I didn't want to be an English major because everybody I knew who wanted to be a writer was an English major, and I didn't want to be just like one among many. Also, I hated the idea of writing analytical essays. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to do the fiction. So I took basically all of the uh, fiction writing courses that the school offered to the, to the point that they didn't have any more to offer me. So I ended up doing independent study with the head of the writing program there, uh, Oakley Hall, who is like was like the guru of the, the UCI writing program. And it was when it was the number one writing program in the country. That was a graduate program, but I was an undergrad. But uh, I was doing independent study with the guy, you know, who was the, the running this program. Uh, little did I know, you know, that I was I was uh, being mentored by by uh, you know one of the greatest writing teachers, you know, of all time. So it was really a fantastic experience. But when it came to the majors, I figured, you know, uh, psychology is the science of the mind and behavior. And theater is the art of the mind and behavior. And I thought those would go together really well in terms of uh, writing. So I was always, I was interested in the human mind and I was interested in, in, uh, in you know, the, the whole theatrical aspect of, of, uh, you know, of not just acting, but just the, the experience of, uh, of, of performance. So uh, I think they went together very well.
0: Well, I assume that that's all skills that you're continuing to use uh, today as you're speaking with me anytime you're going out and giving a, a presentation. I mean, that's all your your theatrical training coming to play, right?
1: Yeah, I, I get I get to do the a one-man show all the time, so I'm still using still using that uh, that uh, theater uh, and uh, and you know, my books are all dramatic and psychological. So it's kind of all you know it all works together.
0: And you have gone on to kind of do a little bit of everything. I mean, obviously, uh, books are, are a big part of your life, but you've also done screenwriting you've written for the stage. Um, you've done, you've recorded your own audiobooks. I assume if you wanted to start your own podcast, you could do that tomorrow and have a lot of listeners.
1: <laughs> I actually have a meeting, a zoom meeting tomorrow about the possibility of doing a podcast. So that's, uh, that's exciting. I always, I, we want to do, you know, new things and try something new. Uh, so yeah but yeah there's there's a lot of things i'm always trying to to you know to to expand and do different things i loved doing the audios i i did the audio of the schwa here and Ansie does time uh i i got to be i got to be more brooklyn in that you know i i i sort of brought back my 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 childhood because i grew up in brooklyn and so i kind of just brought that back when i was uh when i was doing that character uh which was hard to get out of when I'm done with the day I still have you know it's, just, it's still coming out brooklynese uh, and then with the short story collections with the unbound and now with gleanings I've had the opportunity to do several of the short stories in the audiobooks and that's and that's a lot of fun because it's uh I, and I kind of get to pick and choose which stories I read and so I I really enjoy doing that
0: well, obviously, if you're just doing it' still very early on and what type of podcast you might do, but have you thought about maybe doing just like a narrative podcast or is it you sitting down and interviewing folks or is even saying that giving away too much? Uh,
1: you know, I don't know. there, there was uh, w- one of the things that I was thinking of is you know, there's un- unlike the publishing publishing industry, I have uh, a lot of, uh, you know I, the, the books when I get when I write them, they get published. When it comes to the entertainment industry, you write a script, even if it sells, it doesn't mean it's going to get made. So I have dozens of scripts that just have not been produced. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun if I did a podcast that were kind of like uh, uh, readings of these scripts that aren't produced for for my fans who like my other work, they'll get to see uh, some some projects that otherwise would not see the light of day. So that's that's an idea that I have. I'm not sure whether I'm going to go with that, but that's something I've been thinking of.
0: Oh, fingers crossed. That sounds like a great program. Uh, And I know that you you grow up in Brooklyn, but then you moved to Mexico City for your last two years of high school. And you said that that experience changed your life forever. How so?
1: Uh, Well, having an international experience when you're growing up just opens the world to you. Suddenly the world doesn't seem so big and so frightening and so far away. Uh, My father was an engineer. And he came home one day during the summer, summer between uh, 10th and 11th grade. And he said, hey, guess what? My company is transferring me to Mexico City. And at first we thought it was my mom and I, you know, thought it was a joke. I said, nope, nope. They've made me this offer and and, um, I've accepted it. And we're going to go to Mexico City for two years. And so two weeks later, boom, there I was in Mexico City. I didn't speak a word of Spanish because I had taken four years of French, you know, in middle school and and uh, my first years of high school. So I had to learn Spanish, which I did. Necesito practicar para recordar mi español. That means I, I need to practice to remember my Spanish, but, uh, but I can understand a lot of it. And, uh, and it was uh, you know, this fantastic experience where I met people from all over the world uh, and really came to be, you know gained a sense of self-confidence. Because you know when you're kind of dropped in a country and you can't speak the language and you have to kind of fend for yourself and deal, uh, at first, it's really hard. I mean, I went through culture shock uh, the first couple of months, but once I got over that, there's this feeling that you can just go anywhere and do anything. and uh, and you know, I went on after after college to when I mean after after high school, went to college across the country. Uh, tra- travel, uh, you know, around the world. And I, I feel at home wherever I go. And I really attribute that to having had that international experience growing up.
0: I know, as I'm uh, talking to you this morning, you're in Spain, and part of a long tour that's going to be going on the next two months. So I'm assuming that's a skill that's that's been able to be transposed on to you now international traveler to go around and, 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 and rep the books, right? Yeah,
1: I mean, I I love traveling. I I, I love getting lost places. You know, I love getting lost in cities and trying to find my way around, even if I don't speak the language. Kind of feels like a video game. It's like I remember my first time in Japan, the subway system there is just confusing and immense. And I remember I was sitting there and some people would get really stressed by that. It was fun trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B by changing through all of these different subway lines. It was like it was like you know playing a video game. Uh, so I uh, now I'm spending two months traveling. Uh, first first month is all in Europe. I I had uh, a number of events with my German publisher. And then uh, I was supposed to visit my son in Thailand. My son, Brendan, lives in Thailand because all, all of my kids have had international experiences and now are traveling all over the world. So he lives there. And uh, I lost my passport, so I couldn't visit him. So he came to visit me in, uh, in Europe. And we spent the last week traveling by train around Europe uh, and just, you know, with, with no real plans, just trying to figure out what to do next. So we ended up in Bruges and uh, Antwerp. Uh, We started off in Frankfurt and then then we went to Vienna and Prague and uh, just had a fantastic time. And now he went back to Thailand and I'm, I'm here in Malaga, Spain, where I'm spending a week focusing on writing and getting some exercise in. And then I'm going to be doing a number of other things with my Dutch publisher and my German publisher. I'm going to be speaking at the Belgian uh, Book Festival. So, And then after that, as soon as I'm done with all of that, I have a a day in the UK where I do some signings uh, of gleanings before pre-publication. And then I fly to the US on November 9th to begin the tour for gleanings, which is uh, going to be going on through the entire month of November and into early December.
0: So when you're, and, and we're going to talk, uh, I've got several questions for you about gleanings available now, esteemed audience, uh, but I wanted to, to make sure I ask about um, when you're traveling and you're writing, you said you're taking a week right now, and I appreciate you taking time to, to speak with me this morning before you get back to your writing. Do Is it just a matter of, let me take a week here and write as much as I possibly can while you're traveling, or are you writing on planes and trains, or how how are you getting your writing in?
1: For some reason, I get so much work done on trains and planes and boats, you know, it's, it's for some reason, I just am, always seem to, to get creatively inspired while traveling, uh, which made it really hard during the pandemic because I was just home and trying to work while at home. While you think, oh, I have all of this time since I'm not traveling. It was like pulling teeth trying to get writing done when I didn't get to travel. So now that I'm, I'm traveling again, I'm really, I'm really appreciating that time and the creativity that comes with being in a new place. Because I think that, really, that always inspires me. Being someplace new where I've never been before always seems to get my creative juices flowing.
0: I've read elsewhere that you're on average looking for around 50 to 60 pages a month and that you do everything handwritten to force yourself to do at least another draft when you're typing it up later, right? Yes, I,
1: I write. I start longhand. I, I use a fountain pen because fountain pens are cool. And I uh, write longhand uh, and I'll write a chapter. And then and usually, you know, it's it's just kind of stream of consciousness. But then as I type it into the computer, it gets a complete revision and I really hone it. And then I'll revise it multiple times until I'm satisfied with that chapter. Then I'll move to the next chapter, which means going back to the notebook. Uh, I, I love doing it that way. I think if I stayed on the computer, my entire life would be looking at a screen and I don't want that. I like the idea of varying it a little bit. There are times when I'm really in the zone that I'll actually just dictate because it's coming that quickly. Uh, and so between the dictation and the, and, and the handwriting, that's, that's pretty much how I always start. You know, The process always moves to the computer eventually, but never starts there.
0: Does that make you feel at all nervous or vulnerable that, Hey, if I spill my coffee on this notebook, I'm done. (laughs) I don't have it backed up on the cloud.
1: Yeah. And and, and that's happened. I've lost, I've lost notebooks. If I wait too long to to transcribe it, I can't read my handwriting. So I have no idea what I wrote. So it's like trying to read a Rorschach, trying to figure out what, what I was trying to say. Uh, Yeah. That's, that's always a concern. Uh, So, so i do that i try to do that transcription fairly quickly once i'm done writing that chapter i go back and i'll and i'll start to type it in and and really hone it
0: when you have lost uh, notebooks, and I'm sorry to, to bring up this traumatic uh, experience, I'm sure um, I, I had the experience. Uh, a, a, a computer was our house was broken into, and a computer was stolen. And I didn't yet have the cloud, so I lost uh, first part of a novel. And I was, I was fortunate enough I rewrote it. I'm like, okay, well, this version's probably better. And if it's not, well, I'll never know because that one's gone.
1: Oh, it always is.
0: It's always better. Do, when totally happens, convinced. Do, you, do you go back and 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 do a new version or do you just say, okay, well, that's gone next story.
1: No, I, I, I go back and just redo it. And, and I generally, I feel that it's better. I mean, the, the time that I, it, that really happened was it was years ago. I was working on, oh, uh, I think it was speeding bullet many, many years ago, earlier in my career. And I was writing in the notebook and I hadn't been transcribing and I was just writing it straight into the notebook. And i had about maybe 50 pages. And I left the notebook in the seat back of an airplane. Never got it back. So I had to to go back and redo the whole thing. And it was probably the best thing that ever happened to that book. (laughs) At least that's what I tell myself.
0: Well, I, I know you said elsewhere that you write down some ideas that you have some idea of, but unless it's a, a burning passion, you're not probably not going to, that's not going to be the story that you write anyway. Am I, am I paraphrasing that more or less correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to have many more ideas than I have time to write. Uh, and not every idea, not every idea gets the attention and the ones that get the attention are the ones that are screaming and just, just seem to just feel like this is the story that must be told. Uh, I, I try not to write stories that I don't have that kind of passion for because, first of all, it'll be harder to write a story if I don't have passion for it, and and if I'm not passionate about a story, that's going to that's gonna get right into the pages. I mean, you're going you're gonna to feel that lack of, of passion when you read it, so I want all the things that I write to have that sense of urgency uh, while I'm writing it, and I'm hoping that that uh, translates right to the reader.
0: And so, um, oh, right now, as I'm talking to you, when you're spending a week and you're focused just on writing before you get back to traveling on the tour, what does your workday look like?
1: Uh, Well, let's see. Today, I was doing a lot of logistical things in terms of organizing organizing my thoughts, uh, taking care of emails and business things that need to be cleared out of the way before I can actually put all of my attention into writing. And then once I feel as if I sort of have those, you know, everything's kind of held back, and I can actually focus in uh, tomorrow, I'll probably get up early and spend at least uh, three hours writing, then I'll go and swim or or exercise at the gym. And I'll, and I'll have something to eat, and I'll come back to write for another three or four hours. Then I'll take another break, and I'll try to write in the evening for another three hours. I mean, it's it's on, on days where I'm really focusing on writing, I try to get around nine to ten hours of writing done. Uh, the The other day when I we 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 had this uh, the train this train ride from from Prague to Frankfurt, which is like a seven hour train ride, and we we booked that specifically so that we could get the chance to to go across the countryside and see you know see Europe, but also I knew during those seven hours I was going to be writing and I got an awful lot of work done. So, uh, you know, tr- trying to get at least my, my, my goal when I'm having writing days is to get at least six hours of writing done in a writing day. Don't always manage to do that. Uh, there are some days when I'm just I just don't have the creativity or there are too many other things going on, both outside around me or in my own head that I can't focus in. Uh, but when I can, I try to take advantage of that creativity.
0: When we're talking six hours, are we talking just pen, literally since you're handwriting pen pen to page, uh, or is that count like doing a little bit of research on the internet or whatever it is you need you to know, do? It, count, it
1: counts all of that. I mean, usually I'll, I'll uh, do, the, do the handwriting and then once I'm done with a section of a chapter or th- th- then I'll switch to the computer and type it in. Uh, If I need to do research, I'll do research during the process, but it's just focusing on the story in one way or another.
0: Okay. I wanted to clarify because later I'll be beating myself up that I'm checking something on the internet like, no, Neil Schusterman said six hours straight. So
1: (laughs) no, no, that's, that's the goal. That's the goal. Like I said, I very rarely actually meet that goal. There are writers I know who, uh, like you know, Jonathan Mayberry, he writes 2000 words a day, no matter what, that's his, you know, it's, no matter what's going on in his life, 2000 words a day. Wow, I can't do that. I, I, I can't be so regimented as to be able to, to get that done. There's, there's entire weeks when I can't get writing done. And then there's days where I just have endless energy for multiple days to get work done and the, where the creativity is there. So for me, it really comes and fits and starts.
0: And when you uh, start your day with with doing the business and the emails, an issue I run into is if I send out a bunch of emails, sooner or later people start responding. And now I've got a bunch of responses that I've just created more work for myself. Whereas if I push that off to the end of the day, do you just block all that out? You take yourself completely, make yourself unavailable while you're being creative? Or how do you handle that?
1: Yeah, I wish. I wish I, wish I, I had the... Uh the determination and the the ability to just not look at the emails and not you know look at all that. My, one thing that I have managed to do is I've managed to take a lot of social media off my plate because you know it, it's a black hole for me. If I start get start on social media that'll be it for the day. And so I have a social media manager that uh, that posts stuff and then sends me stuff that fans that fans respond, you know responses from fans. Uh, and if I have anything that I want to post, I just send it send it to her and she figures out which platforms to put it on uh, And so I sort of keep keep a little bit of a distance from social media most of the time. Uh, but when it comes to emails yeah, I'm always checking those emails. I'm always getting interrupted by 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 things coming in that that demand my attention immediately you know and uh, and so I try to I, I try not to but you know, it's it's I have the same problem that you have. You know, it always it, those emails just seem to be calling to me, even if I'm trying to write.
0: I mean, fifty books. It's it's working out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's getting done. <laughs> um, as far as uh, your your process, do when you when you start with an idea. Do you sit down and write out, are you a plotter or a pantser? How much of a plan do you have? Do you have like a, a set goal? I'm gonna to get to this plot point by the end of the day or is it just let me see what happens? How do you, how does it go?
1: Uh, it's a combination of both. I try not to start until I have the story pretty much worked out. It's not always that way, but uh, uh, sometimes I'm not sure where the story is going until I get to know the characters and set up those opening scenes. Then I have to stop. I like there's a book that I'm working on now. I'm about I'm about 50 pages into it. I know the characters now. I really know the situation well and the world that the story is being told in. But now I have to figure out to the whole story. So now I've had to stop writing, and the, you know, for the next few days, I'm just going to be focusing on figuring that story out. And then I'll sit down and start writing again. And the characters will invariably start taking the story in places I wasn't expecting them to. And so I have to throw away my outline and re outline and restructure it and uh, so it's, it's a matter of, of plotting it out but also being willing to throw throw away the outline when the story starts going in different directions.
0: So, what does figuring out a story look like? Is that just writing out an outline? Do you like? Uh, do you do you like the scene in the movie where the person's trying to to figure out the conspiracy and you've got little bits all over the wall? Or what, uh, what What is your process in figuring out a story?
1: It's A lot of questions. You know, what does the character want at this point in time? Uh, what are the obstacles in the character's way? If the character gets this one thing, will they will they still feel the need to move forward in the story? Uh, do I need, right now I'm working on trying to figure out who are the, who are the secondary characters? I've identified, you know, the, the, the three main characters of this story, but who else becomes involved and what, and what purposes do, do they serve in the story? And ultimately, I realized that one of the characters is going to have to die. Which character is going to die? Is it going to be a main character? Is it going to be one of the secondary characters? And I don't want it to be the cliche, you know, the best friend character that always dies to prove that the situation is serious. You know, don't want to go with one of those tropes. So uh, it's just posing a lot of questions and not necessarily answering them, but sort of understanding what questions I need to ask in order to move the story forward.
0: I know uh, your stories are, are, are very thought-provoking. Uh, you ask lots of uh, psychological questions. What would happen if no one uh, died ever, except when when we say they die? All all sorts of uh, things that are going to take home. In fact, I heard you talk elsewhere about how uh, a story is kind of like a steak, and you come because you're hungry, and the the entertainment it satisfies your hunger, but then there's nutrition in there. There's there's themes. there's there's, there's deeper mm-hmm. thoughts that you're going to take, and you're going to digest those later. When you're at this stage, how, what's what's the ratio on what you're looking at? Are you focused primarily on let me make sure I entertain everybody so that you at least get fed, and then worry about the nutrition, or do you start thinking about what are my themes, what are the deeper questions that I have, and let me work those in, or is it all all part of a piece?
1: It starts it starts with the themes. What am i what questions am I trying to ask? What what uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, and oh and what and what are the characters going to have to go through to to make that happen uh and then I think okay now how am I going to say that in an interesting way that keeps people wanting to read it so it always starts with the theme and the uh and the overall concept of the story and then then I have to figure out how to make that interesting
0: and how do you i mean do you have some i assume you you've got some kind of rules fifty books and you would have to have um about when you're being you're spending too much time on theme and questions and you need to make sure that you get your suspense ramped up I and mean, what 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 checks and balances do you have to make sure that you're being interesting and thought provoking without being preachy
1: uh you know it's 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 kind of this internal modulation i i kind of always people will ask me how do you know how much of this to do and how much of that it's it's just a matter of feel you know it's like having a, it's, it's like cooking without a recipe you just know that you need this much garlic and this much this much oregano but you've never actually measured it uh it's just it's something i think that just comes with having done it and it's and and it's hard to explain except when you see it just like if, I, if i'll read something like if, if i'm working with other uh you know up and coming writers who are, who are, who are, uh, you know, wanting to, to learn the craft. I can, I can, I can put it into words then. Like I can say, Oh, well, you know, you're spending too much time developing this uh, you know, the, the setting when, when by this point, the character needs to take over and we need to have the character do something. Uh, But it's, but otherwise it's just sort of something that you, you have a feel for. And it's just a matter of generating that feel just by
0: doing it. I love that answer as a as a fan. Um, but also I hear part of it is the, the secret to being Neil Schusterman is be Neil Schusterman. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: Well, I think I think a lot of of it comes from my editors over the years because I'll hear my editors as I'm writing something, I'll hear my editors in my head saying, you know, I'll hear I'll I'll hear Stephanie Lurie saying you're going on and on because you're falling in love with your description again. Or I'll hear David Gale say, get to the point. Or, or I'll or I'll, I'll hear say hear, uh, Justin Chanda, you know, in my head saying uh, saying, you know, remember what the story is about. Or uh, or Rosemary or Rosemary Brosnan, you know, who was my editor on Challenger Deep and uh, and and Game Changer and Bruiser. Uh, challenging me to to make this difficult concept work, and you know, telling me that it's not quite there yet, and you need to focus more on on uh, you know the craft of making this difficult story work. So I so those those voices of my editors in my head drive me and assist me. And then when I get the book done, then they <laughs> then they're not in my head anymore. Then they're actually out there making these uh, you know suggestions and, and comments that I learned from, because a good editor, you know, a good editor's job is to illuminate the problems of a story. And once it's illuminated, well, then it's up to you as the writer to fix it. But if you have a really good editor, who's really good at illuminating those problems, you take that with you. And you can remember the next time you're in that situation, you can remember what what the problem was. And, And they're already sort of there in your head illuminating it for you.
0: I love the idea that if you're talking to your editor now in real life and they say, well, I think you should do this. You say, no, no, no. The you in my head said this was fine. <laughs> so well, that uh, just you mentioned Justin Chanda, uh, who is uh, Gleanings is uh, dedicated to. Yes. Yes. So what uh, transition? I want, I want to talk about the book. I want to talk about you collaborating with other authors, but I'm fascinated what, uh, what is it that Justin Chanda did to be worthy of this dedication and, and, and putting together <laughs> greetings? Um, what, uh, what does Netter have to do to get a book dedicated to them?
1: <laughs> well, Justin, Justin is the publisher of uh, Simon & Schuster uh, Books for Young Readers. And he has been a supporter of, of my work from the very beginning. And uh, I've only recently had the opportunity to work with him as an editor because you know, he doesn't do that much editing anymore because he's so busy you know, being the publisher. Uh, but I had my, my, my editor was David Gale, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago. And so Justin uh, filled in working on the toll with me and just was so fantastic and so insightful that I asked him, you know, I, I, I know, you know you don't have all that much time to edit anymore, but could you continue editing me and, uh and so you know he worked with uh with with my son Jared and I on Roxy and and uh and on gleanings and it's been a fantastic fantastic experience and you know to have someone who believes in you as much as Justin uh believes in me has been an amazing thing for my career and and you know I mean I consider him a friend and so it you know dedicating it to him comes from the heart
0: what I'm hearing is, as we've been talking, is although it's your name on the cover of these books, uh, sounds like there's there's a whole group of people that have gone into making Neil Schusterman, Neil Schusterman at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 not this you know solo thing. I mean, you, there's a lot of people involved every step of the way, and I'm grateful for uh, for all the people at all the publishing companies that have believed in my work and have encouraged me and have offered criticism. You know, one of the most important thing is criticism. You know, there's, you know some, there's sometimes I read books and I think, oh, this is a great author, but the editor was afraid to tell them that something isn't working. You know, you, you, and you can tell, you can tell when something needed a little bit more work. Uh, I, I, I'm grateful that I have editors that will tell me what needs to be done in a book, even if it's hard. Uh, I'm grateful for art departments that come up with amazing covers. I just love the covers of the books and, uh, and it's, you know, I, I just feel very grateful to, to have so many people, uh, who who have been supporting my work for all of these years.
0: Does that fill you with, uh, maybe just a little, a little tinge of fear when you encounter that in somebody, in somebody else's book that, Hey, I, 50 books in, uh, there's going to be somebody you're going to come across that's going to be a little bit intimidated by you, Not obviously not Justin, uh, but somebody uh, who might be a little intimidated and won't speak up. How do you protect against that and make sure that you're continuing to get the feedback to to keep you honest?
1: Well, I mean, so far, I haven't had that problem. I I've, I think uh, the editors that I've worked with in you know for the past, oh, 15, 15 years have been I mean, have been really, really good, uh, and aren't afraid. I mean, I think they they get to the position that they they're at because they're not afraid to tell writers, you know, what, what's you know what they need to te- need to hear. And so it's and, and plus I I I retain really you know friendly relationships with all of my writers. It's never adversarial. Uh, so it's 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 uh, so I, I'm I don't think I'm all that intimidating. <laughs> I try not to be.
0: Well, um, who who reads your manuscript first? Who do you who do you go to? How many people folks are weighing in before you get to the editor?
1: There's usually a lot, maybe not weighing in on the whole book, but on on certain chapters that I'm uh, concerned about. I ha- have a writing group, and uh, and I they they see a lot of the pages that I'm working with. I have a, a number of friends, other authors, who I'll send stuff to. Uh, if if there's things that I feel really need to be vetted by someone who is in a uh, an ethnic group or social group that I'm not a part of, I make sure that I find uh, another writer who who is so that I can make sure that I'm being authentic and respectful. So there's and, and that's all part you know I consider that part of the research in in writing is is making sure that uh, that I'm authentic. So there are, quite a few people involved before it ever gets to the editor. And then it's just, then it's a relationship between me and the editor.
0: Gotcha. And I know that you had talked a bit when you are writing uh, Game Changer, uh, which has just that, that wonderful premise. Um, would, I promised you not to torture you by, by, by summarizing your books. What's the premise of Game Changer?
1: So G- Game Changer is about a, a high school football player who bounces into alternate universes because he hits so hard. He's a, he's a tackle, and every time he hits really hard, he bounces into a parallel universe where everything is the same except for one small thing. Now, I had this idea for a very long time, but it was one of those ideas that wasn't screaming to be told until I thought, what if every world that he bounces into is a different social reality where he has to, to face different social realities that he never had to before. So what if he's like this, you know, this kid who who, who doesn't really get racism or you know who who or who doesn't, you know, not that he's racist but he just doesn't understand what it's like to be, you know, African American in in the United States and his best friend is African American and is always telling him, "Dude, you just don't get it." Well, he ends up bouncing into a world where uh, Brown versus the Board of Education went the other way, and the U.S. is still segregated. And so his best friend is no longer in this new world, his best friend. He's not even in the school because whites and blacks don't go to school together in this, uh, in this world that he's bounced into. And he has to come to terms with that and realize that uh, one of the things he realizes in that world is that it's not as different from our world as he thought it would be. And he starts to understand the concept of institutionalized racism that uh, that we have in in our world. And so he bounces through these different social realities. Uh, There's one world in which he is, uh, everything in the the world seems exactly the way it was from the world he just came from, except that he's starting to realize that he's attracted to other guys. In this world, he's gay. And he, for the first time in his life, has to experience what it's like to have same-sex attraction, and how that affects his entire being his entire life uh, and ultimately in that in that world he comes out to his parents and to, to, to you know to his school and uh so he's now seeing life from an entirely new perspective and so the, the goal in game changer was to take this kid and have him see perspectives that he never would have before hopefully that when ki- kids read it, maybe kids who, who are like that, who who don't get these other perspectives, will read it, identify with the character, and finally be able to sort of see the world through other people's eyes.
0: And I know that uh, that was, is in development with uh, Netflix's TV series, and you've been co-writing the pilot episode. Where are we at with that? Are we hoping to see it soon?
1: It's, it's still in development with Netflix. I'm um, co-writing it with Brian Yorkey who is a fantastic writer. He he's he's the the guy who brought 13 Reasons Why uh to you know to life on Netflix. But the thing that that was my favorite thing of his is the stage show, the musical that he wrote Next to Normal, which is my all-time favorite musical. So when I found out I was going to be writing with the guy who wrote Next to Normal, it was really hard not to just fanboy all over him when I met him because I was it was very uh, I'm very excited to be working with him and he's really really smart really a good writer Uh, and so the collaboration has been fantastic Netflix though has been been going through a lot of difficult things so uh, whether or not they make it there's no telling but we'll see
0: I was just wondering if you were going to convince him that there needs to be at least one episode where the alternate universe is it's a musical everybody sings <laughs>
1: that'll be the second season
0: <laughs> when uh, when you're working on a character like that which uh, just you there's so many different perspectives that you can't possibly have them all. I know that you went out uh, and you reached out to to people in the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you worked uh, with 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 friends of different races, uh, for people who had been victims of, of abuse. When you're working with somebody like that and you want to get their perspective to keep you honest, make sure that what you're writing is a fair representation. But you also, you know, you you've got your your story. You want to be true to your plot, your character. What's the balance that, that you're striking? How many people do you need to go to to make sure that you're not getting just a one-off opinion, but that you're getting a fair representation of perspectives that you yourself don't have?
1: I mean, for each perspective, I'm, I'm usually going to two or three different people. And sometimes I get conflicting things. And so I ask them, OK, well, this other person said this. How do you feel about that? And so it becomes a little bit of a, a, a dialogue and almost sometimes a little bit of a round table where we're discussing uh, you know these ideas, um, but yeah, you know it's it's important to get multiple perspectives on it, and uh, and the things that aren't working, I take that very seriously. I mean, even if the story required something to be a certain way, uh, you know, then and and you know it could comes back, you know, from from a friend who's reading it, to saying, no, you can't do that. You can't. That, it's, that is, you know, not not gonna work, it's, it's insensitive, then I gotta change it, you know? Because uh, it's, that is the most important thing is that it is authentic and and sensitive to the issues that it's addressing. And I did have to do that multiple times in in Game Changer to make sure that I was uh, being sensitive in the right way. And of course, there's there's still gonna be people who are gonna be offended no matter what you do. I know that with Game Changer, I offended people on the left. How how dare I write about an LGBTQ LGBTQ plus person, or how how dare I write from a woman's point of view, uh, you know, in and uh, you know who's been in an abusive relationship. And then on the other hand, I was smashed by the by the extreme right, saying this is just nothing but a but a extreme left this social justice screed. So I pissed off both sides. So I think I must be doing something right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, could you ever write anything that's going to make everybody happy?
1: No, can't be done. Although, although I always want everybody to be happy, but you know, you can't please all the people all the time.
0: Well, what's your own personal barometer for I did what I was I set out to accomplish? Or do you ever feel that way?
1: I mean, I do. I mean, I, I like with Game Changer, I feel like I feel that I that I accomplished what I set out to accomplish. And if people and and for for the and if there's people who don't get it or people who don't connect with it, I just think about the people that do and the comments that I've heard from people who have really been positively influenced by it with any of the books. Uh, I mean, of course, I love hearing the positive things. Uh, and 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 anytime I do hear something negative, it always sticks, you know, it sticks in my crawl a little bit because, uh, it's like the reviews, you, know, you can have a, a dozen great reviews and you get one bad review, that's the one that you remember. And so that's, uh, and so I'm always trying to sort of overcome that.
0: Well, I know you've got your social media manager who hopefully helps to insulate you a little bit from the, from the tweets from just random internet people that are looking for somebody to be mean to. Um, and you know, today-
1: I, I, I don't wanna be insulated because I wanna know what people are thinking but I also need to take it with a grain of salt because sometimes people, exactly what you said, they're just looking for somebody to be mean to. They're getting, they're getting their own frustrations out and finding it easy to get it out on you.
0: Let's uh, talk uh, about uh, cleanings, which is available now, a esteemed audience. Um, and true to my word, I'm not gonna torture you by telling you about your universe. What does esteemed audience need to know about cleanings?
1: These are stories within the world of Scythe. Uh, For those of you who haven't read Scythe, it's a a world where humanity has conquered death and we get to live forever. And the only way that you can die is to be chosen for death by a Scythe, which is sort of the, they're like these Jedi kind of characters that are, are, their job is to thin out the population. And they are revered and respected. And they're so powerful, unfortunately, there are some bad ones. And... uh, the story itself is about trying to, to, to get rid of the bad scythes and, and, and bring it back to being what it was meant to be. Uh, now these stories are stories from various different points of view. You know, I take some of the characters that are some of everyone's favorite characters, you know, uh, Scythe Curie, for instance, uh, she's, uh, she's one of the main scythes and uh, we get to see her as a teenager. We get to see when she first became a Scythe. We get to see the bad guy, Scythe Goddard, uh, when he was a creepy 16-year-old on the Mars Colony. Because we know that the Mars Colony was destroyed in this horrible, tragic accident. But we've also come to understand that maybe it wasn't an accident and that he was somehow involved. Well, now we get to see that story. Uh, there are stories that I co-wrote with, uh, with my son, Jared, and his partner, uh, so- Sofia La Puente. Uh, there is a story uh, that I co-wrote with David Yoon, author David Yoon, and it was just fun getting the chance to, to write with him. Uh, so I, there were a total of five stories that I that I co-authored and the rest uh, I wrote by myself. Uh, total of 13 stories, 14 with the uh, special edition. That's the uh, Barnes and Noble special edition because uh, they they wanted their own story. And so I wrote a story for them as well. Uh, But the stories are just, some of them are funny, some of them are dark, uh, and uh, they're just exploring, exploring the corners of this world that I wasn't able to explore in the trilogy.
0: And in exploring the the world a little bit more, has that got you thinking, well, maybe rather than a trilogy, it needs to be seven books, eight books. (laughs) Have you thought about maybe it's time to, to get back in?
1: I have thought about it. But I I have not said yes or no yet. Uh, a lot of fans are asking for a prequel. So I'm considering that. But the thing is, I don't want to write something just to write it just because it's there. I got to be excited about it. I have to have that sense of passion. There has to be something that's making me want to revisit this world. So that might happen. I mean, I I might write another scythe story, but right now I have other books that I'm working on. I'm I'm starting, you know, a a brand new series. And uh, I I don't want to give that up to write another scythe book.
0: Gotcha. It's it's still on the table, but fans will have to be patient and it will be better when you're excited, when it comes directly from from your own enthusiasm rather than we're all waiting.
1: (laughs) And I know that we're all waiting, feeling after, after Thunderhead, the day after Thunderhead was published, I was already getting emails from people saying, when's the third book coming? And it's like, it was just published yesterday. I need time to write it.
0: (laughs) But I stayed up all night reading it and I want the next one now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When you're uh, opening up a world that's, that's been not, well, more or less exclusively yours. I mean, I know that you've had, um, editors collaborating and your writing group people have weighed in but it's been your story but now you're opening it up to your son jared to uh, to these other folks that you're collaborating with uh in gleanings is that an experience of um i don't know somebody is uh, coming over and they they want to see your 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 most personal stuff in your home uh, how, what what is it like to, to open up and, and and share this world with with someone else
1: uh, well, I mean, all of them have read the, the trilogy. And so they, they know the world. Um, sometimes, you know, in, in the writing process, they'll, they'll do things that don't quite fit with the world, but that's part of the collaborative process. You know, I'll, I'll rework it to make sure that it fits the rules of the world. Uh, and I've been, you know, pretty, pretty impressed by the ability of, of my collaborators to, to really work within the world.
0: Gotcha. So it's so all still kind of friendly conversation. I mean, it is it yeah. a nice feeling that, Hey, look how much you love my world and, and you've taken it and run with it. And I don't completely hate what you've done. So this is great. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it, it's, it's been positive all the way around. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm also was working with, uh, with a friend of mine, Michelle Nolden, who I've written things with before. And so she uh, took a, a story. I mean, the, the story that she was working on, was based on the idea that Antarctica or there's one region in Antarctica that has uh, that where they where the entire the entire community collectively dreams and so it's sort of like this inception kind of story that takes place within this communal dream because in that because in that in that region scythes don't glean you while you're awake they glean you in your dreams and so if you get killed by a scythe in your dreams then you have to report to that scythe in the morning to be you know, to be killed. And uh, and writing that story with her was just so much fun. Just, the, you know, the combination of both of our imaginations going into, into the story. Uh, and it was, it was the same way with all, all the collaborators. Just, uh, it, 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 you know, it's a play, it's like, here's my playground. Come come join me in my playground. And it, and it was fun. I also had the opportunity to collaborate with my daughter, Joelle, uh, and she wrote a, a, a verse, a, a, a poet, a poem for uh, for gleanings that is actually the opening piece. And it's uh, you know she's a writer also. She's working on her own novel, and it was really it was really fun to have her be able to contribute. And I also worked with a friend of mine by the name of uh, Mike Payne, who specializes in writing animal stories. And a lot of fans always ask me, do pets get to live forever in the world of sight and so I thought the perfect person to tell a story about pets in the world of Scythe was Mike Payne. And so I got the chance to collaborate with him on a story called uh, uh, "Never Work with Animals."
0: Did your uh, Did your daughter know that she was going to be the, the the opening poem when she wrote no, that? No, she didn't.
1: And and what's funny is she wrote a whole much longer thing. She started it with this with this piece that was supposed to be like a journal entry in a science journal and then wrote a story. Uh, But the journal entry by itself was so strong. Uh, I just told her to, you know, why don't you just restructure it as an inverse? And she did it and it's just the perfect opening of of the book.
0: And is she going to be uh, writing? or well, I know she's working on her own novel now, right? So she's mm-hmm. going to eventually be collaborating with you on a full novel, maybe, or if she, if she wants. You know, and my
1: other daughter is an artist, so I might do a graphic novel with her. You know, I can't, I can't give that opportunity to one and not to all of them. You know, I got to be, I have to be fair to everybody. So I also write stories with my son Brendan, and we've written short stories that have gone into different anthologies. But uh, everyone will have the opportunity, if they want it, to work with me on something.
0: How can non family members get in on this? <laughs> <laughs> you were talking earlier about you have so many ideas and you're not going to use all of them. Like, well, if you'll we follow you around, can we have some? We'll
1: toss them here and there. They're not all good ideas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> good enough. If <laughs> I say based on an idea by, that's <laughs>
1: based on a bad idea by Neil Schusterman, yeah.
0: The base had an idea he felt was not worth completing a novel, but this (laughs) guy... Three books in uh, now uh, with the um, with the anthology connected when your enthusiasm returns and you do sit down for number four, five and six, we're <laughs> promising it right here exclusively on this show. Uh, but but if you were to sit down, how do you keep track of your real building? How do you make sure that you're not contradicting past you? Or uh, do you occasionally get to a point where, like, oh, past me, set this up. And I hate him because it prevents me from doing what I want to do now. How do how do you keep track of all of that?
1: Well, it's something that I've come to realize is that these obstacles that you've ended up putting in front of yourself actually become tools that you can use. Uh, when I wrote Unwind, I never expected it to be a series. And so I ended it in such a way that sort of really closed a lot of things off. And so in, and when I finally decided to write a second book, which ended up becoming you know, four more books, I was sort of just stuck with how I ended Unwind, and at first I was frustrated. But then, as I started to work with it, I realized that it forced me to think out of the box for where these characters go in the next in the next book. Uh, but yeah, but there are times when I, I I wish I wouldn't have done something, but now it's already cast in stone, and I can't and I can't just I can't pretend like it did, and I I didn't make that rule in that
0: world. Ah, and of course, got to ask about the movie. Where are we at in terms of the the Skyth movie?
1: It is in development in that interminable in period where it's being written and rewritten, and the script was thrown out, and now they have a new new writer working on it. Steven Spielberg is shepherding the product project, which blows me away because he's he's it was my 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 childhood hero to know that he even knows I exist and has read my book is amazing enough the fact that he wants to make my book into a movie just blows me away uh and so he's shepherding the project and he has uh there's a writer that's on it a new writer and they're we're waiting for the script to come in and hopefully the script will be will be good and uh, i'm just keeping my fingers crossed
0: can you use that as an opportunity to go meet him that way whatever happens with the movie you get the experience of meeting i steven. told my
1: agents that i want to have a sit down with steven spielberg and they said we'll 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 figure out a way to make that happen
0: me too mr spielberg if you're listening if you ever write a ya or middle grade novel come on the show <laughs> that's well, fingers crossed, if fans are excited, what should they be doing to help the process? Is there anyone they should be contacting on social media or a hashtag they should use? Oh, I
1: I don't know. You know, it's the last thing you want to do is, is, is to send your fandom attacking a studio because that can backfire.
0: You know? <laughs> well, it sounds like the thing that fans should do is read the books again and wait patiently.
1: Yeah, unfortunately. But uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping it'll happen.
0: With uh, with any of these projects, when you're I, I don't know you're actively involved, uh, certainly with Game Changer and, and some of the others, uh, and you have the experience, you're not you know you're not writing screenplays, you're writing books. The experience is the book that you created. Uh, is a movie just sort of. Well, that I hope it works out, but either way, the book will still exist, or do you want to be involved and make that the best possible representation? How do you feel about, about your work being adapted?
1: Well, I do want to be involved, but I don't necessarily always want to write it uh, because there's just not enough time in the day. I mean, there, there were points at which I was attached to write projects, and I ended up being the bottleneck. I slowed the project down because I was had so many other things to work on. So I, I don't want to be the, the person who is is preventing the project from moving forward. Uh, and if there's writers and a director who is excited about it and passionate about it, yeah, I'm I'm fine to sit back and let them do their thing. I just want to be involved. You know, I want to be able to sit on the set. I want to be able to give my comments and notes. Uh, and then there are the ones that I feel like I want to write, or at least I want to have the first shot at writing. You know, I wrote the first draft of Challenger Deep. And then they went on and they, they hired Will McCormick to do uh, a new draft. You know, he's a, a, an Academy Award winning writer. I, I'm thrilled to have him involved. Uh, wrote the first draft with, with my son, Jared, of Dry uh, for Paramount. And they felt that it needed to be bigger because, you know, in order to make it a theatrical release, it had to have this sense of, of size and explosions and plane crashes and all of that stuff. And uh, so they brought in Jason Fuchs, who wrote Wonder Woman, to, to do a revision of the script that really made it a studio project. No problem with that. You know, it's, it's whatever it takes to, to get it made. And, you know, I've heard a lot of authors who will complain about their books being made into terrible movies. Uh, yeah, but every, every single book that gets made into a movie ends up becoming a bestseller. And then people will say, "Well, it's, it's the movie, the book was better than the movie." Well, that means that they read the book. So, on one level, I like to—I say I see TV shows and movies as, as uh, a sales tool for the book. You know, I'd love to have a fantastic movie made or a fantastic TV show made from my books, but I'll settle for a bad one.
0: <laughs> it's a, a mediocre movie version is still going to sell a lot of books and introduce people yeah. to your work, right? Mm -hmm. I'll buy that. I read uh, Congo by Michael Crichton because I couldn't believe that the book would be as bad as the movie. (laughs) So... Well, I wanted to ask about uh, collaborating with your son, uh, Jarrett Schusterman, who as luck would have it, uh, assuming this goes well, uh, is going to be here on Friday. Esteemed audience, you won't hear it till January because that's when the, the book comes up. But I'm going to be talking with him and, and, and with Sophia La Puente um, about their new book, Retro, available in January. Go ahead and get your, your copy pre-ordered. So when you're collaborating with your son, I assume just because of the nature of family relationship that there's always going to be a little bit of trauma, a little bit of tension there. Part of this argument is the thing you didn't buy for me when I was six for Christmas, you know, whatever, whatever. when you're working with your, your son, how do you leave that family relationship? Not at the door, I don't think you can completely do that, but, but put it aside in fact so you can you can see each other as equals collaborating on, on a brook. How, how do you manage that?
1: You know what's really interesting about that is that that's the easy part. You know, I mean, we can have arguments about different things, you know, as, as fathers and sons do, you know, family stuff, But when we sit down to write, that's it. That's all aside. Now we are professional and we're bonding over this writing process. And so, I mean, there have been times when it has helped our relationship because we can put stuff aside and focus on the writing and appreciate each other as collaborators and as, uh, you know, and as talents. I mean, Jared is amazingly talented and writing with him has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, And, you know we we just write together really well. And uh, I've enjoyed every last minute of it. And now he's sort of, you know, he's uh, sort of left the 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 writing nest, so to speak, because now he's he's written uh, retro with his partner, Sophie. And it's really thrilling to watch, you know them spread their wings and fly. And I'm just standing back, you know, i'm I'm their cheerleader, you know, because standing back and, and, and watching them with the, with this new book and just very, very excited for them.
0: And I mean I'm assuming that if there's anybody that knows how to write in the Neil Schusterman way, it's got to be him right He, he grew up knowing
1: <laughs> he', yeah, but he doesn't doesn't that's the thing is he wants to write his own thing he doesn't want to write in the Neil Schusterman way which is which is fine. I mean when we're working together, that's what we're doing. I mean, we're creating something together. Now he's written something that is his own style. His, his you know, his, his, you know, the, you know, combination of the style of him and Sophie, and, uh, and you know, they're they're going off in their own creative direction, which is exactly you know what as it
0: should be. Well, that's got to be just enormously gratifying to you. Raised him right. He's a writer. My God, all the things he could. Yeah. <laughs> so that's every time he publishes that's that's an attribute to your great parenting well done oh, thank you <laughs> well well I'll talk to him on on friday and we'll get we'll get his take on that as well <laughs> So I wanted to ask you about a quote from uh, Thunderhead because it's kind of a, an obsession of mine uh, that and you've given this a lot more thought, I, I would imagine, than I have. But in Thunderhead, you say that death must exist for life to have meaning. And I've always seen that as an argument that we make because we know we're gonna die. And there there isn't an alternative, like maybe if I could live forever, I might I might have a new quote for you. Definitely live forever, never worry about death, the end. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll never know because I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna have that. But you've written this uh, in, in entire trilogy and now this anthology around this question, why? Why does death give life meaning? How does it give your life meaning?
1: Uh, well, I think, of course, you know, nobody nobody wants to admit that they're going to die. I mean, think nobody, uh, but but it's something that we all face. And one of the things that I that I wanted to do was was not sh- so much show that death gives life meaning as what we lose uh, when there is no more sense of mortality. Uh, and is it worth it? You know, uh, and I and I really tried to dive into you know do a deep dive on. That that concept, you know, if if we no longer have pain, if we no longer uh, have that, that that sense of that 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 ticking clock towards our end, do things become less urgent? You know, we can we we don't have to do it today because there's always going to be a tomorrow. Uh, is there less passion in the things that we do? Uh, does art become bland because we no longer have the passion that uh, you know that that drove artists? And so that so, so those were some of the things that I was exploring. And I and I'm not saying that it's a, a terrible thing. I'm saying that you know that even when we get something that is positive, there's always going to be a consequence that we're going to have to face. Are the consequences worth it or not? I don't have an answer to that. People ask me, would I want to live in a world uh, the world of Scythe? I would say my answer is yes, yeah, even with the things that we lose. I would want to live forever. And and I know there's a lot of people who say, no, no, I would never want to live forever. But the thing is, you go into a doctor's office and the doctor tells you, I'm sorry, you have six months to live. But here's a pill you can take. And if you take this pill, you're not going to die in six months. And matter of fact, you're not going to die at all. Or you can just die slowly and painfully over the next six months. What are you gonna choose? You know, I think, I, I think most people are gonna to choose to go on, but we're gonna to have to face, face the consequences of that. And it's not so far away because we are at a place where people are actually starting to figure out how to lengthen human life in major ways. I just read an article, you know, fans send me a lot of articles about this stuff. Uh, and they show up in my newsfeed too. It's like you know, like like the Thunderhead is there pointing to these things, you know, uh, that uh, you know they've just in, they've just come up with a pill that can potentially ex- ex- extend human life by thirty years. I think Jeff Bezos is working on a, a project to you know the immort- an immortality project. Eventually, it's going to happen. It's going to be one of these things that shows up on our newsfeed one morning, you know. Elon Musk has solved the mystery of aging and we can live forever if we buy a Tesla, you know, it's going to be something as uh, simple as that. But once we do, once we've cracked it, we're stuck with it, the human race will be technically immortal, we're going to have to deal with the consequences of that. So Scythe is sort of one way that we try to deal with the consequences.
0: One thing that uh oh, many things that uh, that annoy me just a little bit is I feel like we're just on the precipice of that. I can see it coming, and I might be one of the might be the generation that just misses it. Ah, if you'd been born a decade later, oh, yeah. <laughs> you could have got that pill, it would have been fine, but nope.
1: Yeah, that's frustrating. You know, they say they, you know, if if uh if you if you put any credence into the uh into the singularity theory that the year 2042 is the year that we are transformed and and computing power becomes immense and that's when the thunderhead basically comes to life which is in the i mean that's that's the year that i chose for the thunderhead to come to life in uh in in uh in the scythe books but of course you got to live to 2042 you got to make it that far
0: well you're swimming you're eating right who knows <laughs> I'm, I'm,
1: I'm i'm going for it <laughs>
0: Uh, if, if I'm honest with myself, the odds weren't that great for me to make it to this point. So <laughs> uh, what can you tell us about uh, I Am the Walrus, Noah Prime, book one, which is coming here uh, April of 23?
1: I Am the Walrus is the first book in the uh, the Noah Files, which is what the series is being called, uh, co-written by me and Eric Elfman. Eric and I wrote the Accelerati trilogy, which is Tesla's Attic, Edison's Alley, and Hawking's Hallway, which are, oh, three of my favorites. I love working with Eric. He is so much fun to work with. Basically, you know, we're just having fun. We, 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 and, and, you know, we, we make each other laugh, and then we come up with a book. Uh, You know, he's, he's my best friend, and it's just really fun writing with him. Uh, And this new one, is about this kid who, who when he gets stressed out, starts taking on all of the attributes of different animals, you know, all of the uh, defense mechanisms. So it's like he's murdered by bullies in the hallway, suddenly he finds himself and keeling over, you know, like like a possum, which freaks the bullies out and they run away, which is exactly the, you know, the point of it. And he doesn't know why he, this is happening to him. Uh, you know, he he gets startled and suddenly he sprays like a skunk and fills the room with this, you know, this terrible, you know, funk. Uh, what he ultimately finds out is that he has the DNA of every creature on earth, that he is a human ark. that has the, that they can create, rec- recreate every creature from him. But then he comes to realize, he and his friends come to realize, you don't make an ark unless something really, really bad is about to happen. And so he has to try to figure out what's going on and why, he was created and has all this at the same time trying to deal with all of these unexpected responses that he has. So it's also a little bit of a metaphor of the changes you go through as you go through adolescence, uh and, and sort of taken to extremes. And it's told in a humorous style like the Accelerati trilogy, sort of uh sort of a little bit of uh, you know, uh a Douglas Adams kind of. Uh, hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy kind of sense of humor which which you know we both love and there it's it's always wonderful when someone reviews our our books and say you know it's like hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy but with you know you know but with animals you know it's 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 kind of fun
0: i love the idea that if you started spraying like a skunk most people would be immediately repelled but there would be someone humans are so wonderfully varied who had never found you attractive before but now <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. There's interested.
1: There's a, there's the girl who uh, who has a, has first at first she really doesn't like him, but the more weird things that have he does, the more situations she finds herself in with him, the more she is curiously interested in him. There's you know there's this one moment where they're stuck together in an in industrial freezer, and he starts developing blubber that just swells like a walrus and it keeps them both warm until someone finally lets them out of the freezer the next day. And she just finds this, as horrified as she is by that, she's just really interested in him now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> of course. Well, I wanted uh, to ask you earlier when you were talking about uh, writing a humor column and coming upon people reading it who had no idea who you were, uh, now, of course, um, uh, you're you're a bit more uh, prominent. You've got 50 books out in the world. Have you ever come across somebody reading something by you, either then or now or whatever? And that was your that was your line, like, "Hey, you know, I wrote that." Well, the conversation has started. Perhaps you find me a little bit more interesting than you would have before.
1: Uh, there are times when, and it, it doesn't happen all that often because, like, most of the time, people are reading on like Kindles now. So it's like trying to, you know, if if, if I'm ever on vacation and like there's a whole lot of people reading books. I'll always walk around and just see if I can see if there's anybody reading one of my books, and every once in a while they are, but I always have to be careful because usually it's a teenager, and I don't, and you know, I don't want to go up to somebody and just start a conversation and say, "Hey, I wrote that book you're reading," because that's just a little bit creepy, and so uh, I'm always very careful. Uh, sometimes I'm in, I'm in a bookstore and I see well, people with, with the book, and then I'll go up to the to the bookseller and say, "You know, you might want to tell them that." The author is here and can sign it for it.
0: Well, oh, that's a smart way to get them to be approached by somebody else. Yeah, so that
1: that's, that's kind of uh, it's, and it's fun when that happens.
0: That's a good safety tip. Authors follow follow <laughs> that. So my, my 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 approach is going to result. in, I was about to leave you a one star review, but now that you're here, I'll just tell you. Good. <laughs> <laughs> backfire terribly. It could. Well, I know that uh, you uh, you wrote some young adult novels set in the X Files universe, uh, and a steep audience knows. I have to ask because I ask everybody who comes on the show. But who better than an X Files alumni to ask Neil Schusterman? Have you ever seen a ghost and or a flying saucer?
1: I've never seen a flying saucer. I've maybe seen a ghost. I'm not a hundred percent convinced, but I don't discount. I don't discount the possibility. You know, I'm not. A, I'm not a skeptic in saying that this is not real. But at the same time, I'm not saying definitely this is real. I think the possibilities of these things exist. There's more in this universe that we don't understand. And if there wasn't, it would be a really lousy universe. There's got to be things out there that are beyond our understanding that we haven't figured out. And, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of my stories are about life and death and and the afterlife and what 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 is the soul? You know, these these are all these metaphysical questions that I'm always asking, knowing that you know, I'm not going to find, figure out the answers, but posing the questions makes you know makes life a little bit more interesting.
0: Well I know this for me at least is a is a um, a moving target. But what is your current take uh, on on death? Do you have strong thoughts on is there an afterlife or is it just all over and thank God it was as great as it was until then or? where are we to go, go
1: back and forth. I, I know I, I want to believe that there's more. I think that whatever it is is beyond our ability to comprehend, and you know different belief systems try to capture something that is beyond our ability to comprehend, and so it's. It's uh, you know, but 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 I believe, I believe that you know there is reason to existence. Uh, I you know so sometimes you know you look at the universe and the, how huge, how immense the universe is, and some people are terrified by that. I find that comforting because to think that that there is something that is so so much larger than our ability to comprehend means that there is more out there than that that, that we don't see, and that we're in some way. A part of that. And it gives me comfort to think that. But then, of course, there is the fear that, you know, once we're gone, that's it. And we have, and there is no continuation to our existence. That's, you know, I think everybody fears that. But uh, I, I think, you know, I, I want to believe that there's more. And, uh, and I'm always exploring all the different possibilities.
0: I think that's actually the least scary uh, option is that it's just over and you're not it's just everything's blinked out. It's dark now. Oh, great. All those things that were bothering me that I worried about. No more. Forget it. <laughs> <It's done. laughs> and, uh, if you're a really uh, religious person who had a strong feeling, you don't know that you're wrong. <laughs> <I almost laughs> never <had a> <laughs> Uh, that ghost uh, experience that you had, is that something you can you can share or is that better, say, for a, a short story or a book?
1: Oh, it, it was it was when I was actually when I first moved to Mexico when I was 16 and I had a one of those. Uh, I can't remember what you call them, but, but you're awake, but you can't move your par- sleep paralysis. And uh, I, I was in a hotel and I remember I felt like I was flo- floating over my body. And I, it was that feeling of like an out of body experience. And then I looked over and I saw my grandfather sitting in a chair, and he had died several years before. And then suddenly I got woke up with that that start that you have. And uh, I'll never I'll never know whether or not that was real or I was just dreaming or who knows. There's no there's there's no way to know.
0: Well, the experience was real for you, whatever whatever, whatever it was, was, you know, reality of it. Mm-hmm. Neil Schusterman this has been an absolute uh, privilege and a pleasure just a just a treat and I know I could ask you another 50 questions and you're going to write another 50 books so hopefully at some point <laughs> an opportunity to uh, because to-
1: hopefully well you know I'll get to live forever so I can just keep on writing those books if I make it to
0: 2042 so <laughs> yeah, that's true. You, for no other reason than to hit that 2042 you, you've got to keep writing <laughs> yeah. Uh, for today, my last question is, is usually some variation of if you could go back to the start of your career, middle of your career, wherever it would have made the most difference, and, and give yourself some advice that would have helped you on your journey and might help all the writers who are watching or listening to us now, what would you go back and tell yourself?
1: I would tell myself to stop stressing out. It's going to be okay. It is going to work out. It is going to be okay. And I need my future self to come back and tell me that now. So, <laughs> so I will go back and tell my previous, my younger self that, but I need my future self to, to remind me of it.
0: You think that if uh past you saw you, I don't know, poking out of a cloud or whatever and say, Hey, calm down. Would that do it? Would you have been able to calm down? No. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: because I can't take my own advice. You know, it's, It's the way it is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So when future you pokes through, it tells you that, ah, easy for you to say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where can esteemed audience find you uh, online, follow you on social media and all that good stuff?
1: Uh, Well, I have my website, which is storyman.com, which is, it needs a revamping. I'm going to be, you know, redoing the website, but uh, it's also on Facebook at Neil Shusterman. Uh, Same thing with Twitter. Uh, and, uh, and Instagram. So I'm uh, pretty, I'm pretty easy to find uh, on basically all social media. And, uh, and as I said, I do have a social media manager, but everything gets back to me, you know, so, so I'm always uh, responding to fans in one way or another.
0: I wanted to give you extra props just when I saw your, your web domain, like, oh my God, you managed to get story, man. How, how long ago did you secure that? That's fantastic. As soon as I understood
1: what the web was, I reserved that email. I reserved that uh, that domain uh, even before I had a website because I just I I, I just pre- prescient enough to know that this was going to be a big deal and I should have a really cool uh, domain name. Okay. I just have to make sure that I don't let it expire because then someone's going to grab it up.
0: Oh, in a heartbeat! You, you've won yeah. the internet. Hang on to it.
1: <laughs> it's even my license plate. You know, my license plate is
0: Story now. Oh, fantastic. So if you see somebody out driving uh, with that license plate, you'll know <laughs> that <laughs> yes. they're awesome. the ones who stole it. <laughs> ah, esteemed audience, as always, for uh, more interviews, almost as good as this one, head to middlegreatninja.com, download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, and God will then I'm alive. I'll see you next week. <laughs>